0: Since the solemnity of the Annunciation, I have been pondering that event and the transcendence of it for our salvation, and the Lord had me ponder the fact that he who is almighty, who is all-knowing, the creator of the universe, asks Mary to participate in the most important task, the salvation of the world. Then he waits for her permission. Think of it the God Almighty Creator asks and waits for permission. We can see this happening through the entire history of salvation. God has entrusted the world to us and in order for him to work, he begs, he waits for permission from his creatures to let him in. This is God's way with you and with me. He's asking us permission to come to us and to work through us. So trust depends. Like Lourdes just said, on our faith that God has an important task for me, and He's asking me permission to work. But it also means that we need to be attentive to give Him that permission. Even when it goes against what we expected or desired. Because God's work often is not what our natural expectations thought. It is not enough to want God to do our bidding to heal us, to get us what we want, Uh, the God benefactor. Indeed, he is a benefactor, but that's not enough. Then, when we pray, we all expect and say that we trust that God will come through. That means that if a loved one is sick, we expect if we pray, they will be healed. If I'm looking for a job or a house or a car or whatever, we pray and we expect that answer prayers means I'm going to get what I need, what I expected. And then we say, God is good. I trusted. And he gave it to me. But do I also pray. Giving God permission. Permission. To contradict my expectations. For the grace to embrace with confidence his will. When I don't understand it. That is another level of trust. Trusting. That my father knows best what is truly good for me. That is what Jesus did at Gethsemane. He prayed for the chalice to pass, he did not feel a desire to be crucified. But he showed us the price of trusting in the Father. And few follow him in this path. But your will be done and not mine. This is mature faith that is followed by mature trust. Many times... God has plans for us that we just don't understand. This happened as well to the apostles. They trusted God. They left everything. How many people leave their jobs, their family, everything to go and, and just move with God, whatever he wants to take us? And yet, their trust was not yet mature. What happened? When the Lord told them why they were going to Jerusalem, they kept resisting it, thinking that cannot be the end of the story. Indeed, it's not the end of the story, but they expected something else. And sometimes it happens to us, my dear family, God is taking us to the cross, and we're expecting something else. Well, if he's taking us to the cross, if he's permitting something or directing us through trials, he is also giving us the assurance that he will never abandon us, that he will be with us always. We heard this the testimony of Father Ron. I think what makes that testimony so powerful is that it was backed by the testimony of his suffering, that terrible skin disease, and continuing to trust. He didn't he did not want that. And God did not take it away quickly he had to bear it for a while and it blessed him and he understood and that is what makes that testimony of trusting in god so real all this means that it is not enough to obey the commandments that it's living by the law and the Lord Jesus came for something much more. Christ has given us the Holy Spirit so that we see and desire and act as one with his heart. That means that God wants a personal relationship with us and wants to direct us personally in all the decisions we take, including those of our daily life. And so it is not just a one-time thing. Jesus, I consecrate myself to you. Jesus, I trust in you. It has to be followed by a seeking, a listening, a being attentive. The Lord wants to give us his plans, his desires, his love. Often, we are tempted with spiritual laziness. For example, I may think that if God wants something from me, he knows where to find me. He can just tell me and I'll do it. Trusting in God, though, requires hard work of discerning God's will. We cannot presume to know it. We have wounds. We are weak. We are tempted. We are deceived. And so we need to be attentive to the Lord and work out a process of discernment, seeking the truth. It may be that at times the Lord will come to us in a striking way as the angel appearing to Mary, but even Mary had to struggle. Think of it, the Immaculate Conception, the one without sin, the pure Mary had to struggle. In Luke one twenty six, we read, She was greatly troubled at the saying and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. Mary was not going to be taken for a fool by the splendor, by the light, by the words of honor. She wanted to make sure She questioned. She says, Lord, what is this? Tell me that I want to know the truth. If she had to struggle with messages, if she had to struggle to discern how much more we do, but we have to do this with confidence that if we are humble, if we persist, the Lord will not allow us to be confused or abandoned. The angel had to tell Mary, do not be afraid. Mary did not understand, and then she had to ask questions. And we have to ask the Lord as well. In Luke 1.34, she says, how shall this be? Since I have no husband, right? No, not a man. She felt what is being said doesn't seem to fit in what God has been telling me before. So explain this to me, please. So we too may be guided and enlightened by the Lord in things that seem difficult according to what we expected. That's what happened to the apostles again. If you take him as an example, how could it be going to Jerusalem? How is it going to be that you die crucified? Aren't you supposed to be the Messiah, the king of Israel? So you dying on the cross, humiliated, doesn't seem logical to me. I don't understand. So we have to grapple with the mystery and pray and be humble until the Lord patiently speaks to our hearts. In order to trust, Mary needed to continue to listen to God because at the end of the visitation or the annunciation of the angel, Luke tells us the angel departed from her. That is very important because it means Mary did not have the angel there all the time telling her what to do. From then on, she had to listen to God in the silence, the movement of the spirit in her heart. And the angel had given her information about Elizabeth being with child. But the angel did not tell her what to do about it. But Mary had to discern that. And then moved by the Spirit, she did what was definitely the most difficult. Mary was not caught up with the fear, the anxiety, if I leave, what are they going to think when I come back? Uh, This is a dangerous journey. I might as well just hide, stay put. all those things that come against us. Mary had to battle with all that, and she moved in the spirit to do what is most difficult. She trusted because her love consumed her, and she was attentive to the Lord because she had no attachments, no personal agenda, no distractions that could interfere. She was focused on the lord as we i already said the disciples also trusted but only at the end they realized the power of the cross and that they had not yet abandoned everything as they thought they had they still were attached what is most difficult to give up which is our way of looking at reality, the way of understanding things. It's easier to follow Jesus by doing actions than to allow him to reveal to us things that contradict what we always thought things were. But if our priority is not to listen to God, if we do not expect him to actually speak, if we do not keep at it in prayer, seeking and waiting upon the Lord, then we will be distracted and guided by other voices. My family, it is so easy. I can take a resolution. I I trust the Lord has told me to spend X amount of time in prayer every day. When my time of prayer comes and I say, you know, I'm really tired today and I really deserve a break. And this is program going on on TV, you know, I haven't seen for a while or this magazine I want to read or I just want to relax a little bit. And there goes the resolution because I think, you know, it's not that bad. I'm not doing anything bad. But I'm not being attentive to the Lord. I am not being disciplined. The Christian way of life, love is a discipline. I admire Maria every morning. Love in her life has the discipline of having to wake up those children and take John Paul to school. And she cannot say one day, well, you know, I really, I'm tired. I don't think I'm going to get up. Well, what's going to happen to the children? Well, that case might be obvious, but it's the same thing with us in everything that the Lord has asked us to do. The flesh is weak. And we can sort of reconstruct our agenda thinking we're still good people and start lacking off. It's notable in the Gospel of Matthew the Last Judgment the dam will ask when did we see you hungry? And so forth. They where they were alive in this earth, did not respond to God because they did not see him as they expected. And why they did not see him as they expected? Because they were not attentive. They were not seeking the Lord as a priority. They, like it can happen to us, were swept by the logic of the culture, the normality of the environment, what everybody else is doing, the way that everybody sees the world, that is normal. So when did we see you hungry? Like if we don't know what's going on in the world, but we don't think it's our responsibility. When we die, I believe, that we will be dismayed to see how much wanted to entrust to us, how much he wanted to draw us to his heart, but we just did not see it. We thought we were trusting God, but we failed to seek with all our hearts his will. The result is that our understanding of the will of God was distorted, mitigated. We justified our way of thinking and our lifestyle. We're not bad people. We can do the commandments. But we did not allow God to take us where he wanted us to be. If our understanding of God's will is limited or somehow distorted, then our trust will be limited and distorted. We can only trust in as much as we see and understand what God is entrusting to us and have the faith to respond. In the gospel story of the rich man and Lazarus, the rich man goes to hell not for doing something bad to Lazarus, but simply for ignoring him in the great need he had. He was having his nice meal. He was attached to this kind of thing. His meal, his dress, dressing in purple. Uh, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. But Lazarus was begging Right next to him. And he was oblivious to it. He did not see. What God was entrusting. God was entrusting him. With that poor man. That was in need. And Lazarus. Went to heaven. The rich man did not. He was invited to have the grace, the privilege of serving God, finding God in that poor man. But he didn't trust. And, of course, he didn't realize he wasn't trusting. He was just oblivious. We, too, can interpret the gospel blinded by our own mindset, by our own interests, and attachments. One sign that we are off track is when we justify our actions saying, but there's nothing wrong with this. Nothing wrong with spending my money this way, my time, my thoughts this way. Instead, The Lord is inviting us to ask him, what do you want? What is the best way you want me to spend it? So instead of saying, there's nothing wrong with it, the question should be, is this what gives God the maximum glory? If we only comfort ourselves that there's nothing wrong with it, we are blocking off what God wants to entrust us, and therefore we're really not trusting. Responding to God in trust requires a decision to enter into battle against our own tendencies which are still driven by our flesh and our wounds. This often means that to do the most difficult can only be done if we love God with all our being. We need to allow God to plow, to pierce our hearts, to make them new, because our hearts are hardened. We need redemption. We're not okay. The Lord wants to give us a transformed mind that will have authority over our flesh. In Romans 12, Paul tells us, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So our spiritual worship is to be a victim soul. Give our bodies as a living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God. You see, if we don't do this, we will not know the will of God or witness to it, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect. It's only through a process. And this is a lifetime project. I may have it today in some degree, but I don't want to conform with that. Lord, give me more. I want to keep on allowing you to transform my mind, to do what is most difficult, to love you more so that you can have greater authority over me and I can have greater authority over my thoughts, my time, my resources and everything. At times, we are tempted to run from God's will and then we pretend that we are not doing it because we cover up the escape with pious excuses. We know about that. Well, you know, I'm really not going to do that because I really think God wants me to do something else. And I just invent that at the spur of the moment without any discernment. We can easily fool ourselves this way. That is why we need the teaching of the church, but also someone who can help us to see our blind areas. And this is why accompaniment is so fundamental to help us to reach self-knowledge. Like Raniero Cantalamesa says, we can't really hit ourselves in the places we have to and challenge us. We need someone to help us from the outside, to help us to see our true motivations. This process is so arduous, so important, to come to real faith, to real trust in God, that St. Ignatius, who desire to respond to God, God gave him a process of discernment called the spiritual exercises. He had to seek God and engage into an intense spiritual battle against Satan and the flesh in order to come to clarity above the will of God. To think we can shortcut this or circumvent that is to fool ourselves. That's the work of the path. This calls for a disciplined way of life. It's not complicated. It's simple. But we have to be willing to walk it every day, to be humble, to listen, to allow the, the voice of the Lord in us to convict us, to listen to what we're being challenged. And finally, another temptation that we have in this regard is to overlook the power of our ordinary lives in the will of God. Oh, we're so ordinary. We're so little. I mean, really, what is the importance of my life? And once I start to think this way, why would I fight so hard if my life, after all, is so insignificant, so basically useless? Then we can excuse ourselves saying, I'm not as important as Mary was. But the truth is that Jesus is asking us to respond like Mary, to partake of His love as co-redeemers to save many through the power of our hidden lives, united as one with His, as Mary is united as one with Him. That is why He pleads: Give me victim souls. The Creator of the universe is begging each of us, to help him, to give him victim souls, to bring his love and salvation to many.